So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, because it is good and it is right and it is the best. And so, Lord, in these moments, would you open our hearts, our minds to what you want to say, to how you want us to move, how you want to shape us. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. My days as a garage mechanic ended a number of years ago. I was a youth pastor back then, and at the time, I was the proud owner of a 1987, very sporty, 1987 gold Pontiac 6000 LE. How's that? Now that is definitely a prototype of the kind of car you want in youth ministry, because every kid wants to ride in that. You can take that down, I don't want to see that anymore. So one day... <laughs> One day, I was on my way back from a church uh, retreat weekend when both windshield wipers on the car suddenly started groaning and then stopped working altogether, froze right in the middle of my windshield. So I drove home that way, and when I got home, I removed the windshield wiper motor, uh, went to the local auto parts store dealer to buy a new one. The clerk saw me, looked at what I had, and said, we don't carry that. You'll have to order one could take a week or so. Clearly, I was the only one in a hurry on this particular day. So I gave him my name, I gave him uh, my phone number, and with, uh, pr uh, made him promise that he would keep this old motor that I had so that when the new motor came in, he could uh, compare them, match them, make sure that uh, the new motor would be a perfect fit and that it would work in my car. So about a week later, I got a call from my new friend, the auto parts clerk, uh, to tell me that the new motor was in. But apparently the old motor was out. Sorry, he said, because the old motor was on a truck with a whole bunch of other auto parts on the way to Oregon somewhere. And that wouldn't have been a big deal, except it turned out that um, there was this really important part that should have been on the new motor that wasn't, and my friend the auto clerk forgot about his promise. So uh, he apologized, and then he said, uh, sent me to another store of theirs, which he promised uh, would have this part. So 20 minutes later, I'm standing in front of this other auto parts clerk, who has this really surprised look on his face. Oh, he says, he meant that part. We don't have that part. You'll have to order it. Could take a week or so. So three weeks after my windshield wiper motor broke and my wipers uh, had stopped working, which in Seattle is a little bit of an issue, don't you think? I'm finally holding the new unit and installing it in my sporty Pontiac 6000 LE. Three nuts and one bolt and the thing is in there and even more importantly it works. So I call my wife, some friends, my kids to come out and see this thing and only my kids show up. So we all pile in the car and turn on the wipers, take a little drive around the uh, block. Except as we're driving about three minutes into the drive, the left windshield wiper suddenly starts making this noise, which I'm pretty sure was a scream, and then jumps off the car <laughs> into, the into the street. Worse, just in time for the guy behind me to run it over. Close examination revealed that I needed a new one. So. Guess what my friend, the, the auto parts clerk, said when I showed him my mangled windshield wiper? We don't carry that. You'll have to order it. Could be a week or so. Uh, that was it. I quit, and uh, that was the last day I was a garage mechanic. 
You ever run into anyone like that? <laughs> Someone who's only committed to the minimum, and even then, it just seems to take a lot of effort to get them to that place. And it's really not an energy level issue, is it? Because if it were, I'd just show up with some of those Red Bull energy drinks, you know, and kind of feed them to the guy and wait for them to kick in, and then I could get the help that I wanted. But uh, that's not the issue. It's not an energy issue. It's a heart issue. Because that guy, frankly, could care less if, uh, about the trouble that I was going through or if I got the right windshield wipers. I couldn't care less is a message that we hear way too often in way too many ways in our culture. Now, I'm not talking about whether or not you care about why no baseball team has made a deal for Prince Fielder yet. And I'm not talking about whether you care or not why the Husky defense can't manage to stop a parked bicycle. <laughs> Had to throw it in there. My daughter's now going to Wazoo, so go cool. <laughs> little staff tension there. So, but what I'm talking about is an entirely different message. Uh, the message I couldn't care less when it is hurtful, when it damages the way we see ourselves or think about ourselves or engage in life. Every one of us whose mother or father abandoned our family so they can be in a relationship with another man or another woman, every one of us who was ignored or not paid attention to when we were growing up, every one of us who reached out for help but never got a response back, Every one of us who has felt used or taken advantage of, manipulated uh, by someone else, we are constantly bombarded by this message, I couldn't care less. Maybe you felt the impact of that message in your life. And maybe, maybe there's somebody that's hearing that message from you. And yet, and yet, God put skin on and came to this earth in the person in the person of Jesus to say something and to show something entirely different than the I couldn't care less message that we hear so often. What would our lives look like if we really, really believed and if we really trusted and relied on the message Jesus brought back from his Father that God couldn't care more about you? What would that look like? Now, God shows us that he couldn't care more about us in two ways. And the first one is this, that when God came, he came to stay. He is here with us now. Now, the context for the passage that Dana read is that Jesus has been on the Sea of Galilee. He's gone over to the east side uh, just prior to this particular passage that she read. He's been over on the east side of the lake. And the Sea of Galilee served as this natural boundary or barrier between the east side, which was settled by non-Jewish Gentile peoples, and the west side, which was basically a Jewish settlement. So Jesus has been on the east side where he encounters a man who the scripture tells us literally had a legion of demons. And this man was just in a horrible place. He was sleeping in a graveyard. He was cutting on himself, screamed out in the evening and in the day, and no one could do anything to help him. No one could control him. And to, his utter, to their utter amazement, Jesus reaches out and he heals this man. And then, as a missions pastor, I love this part, he sends them to the non-Jewish settlement. He sends them to the Gentile peoples, the people that didn't know about God, to be this five-alarm evangelist for Christ. 
So as the passage begins that Dana read, then Jesus is now coming over to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And there he encounters this synagogue ruler named Jairus. And Jairus uh, was appointed as a synagogue leader by um, elders in the community. And the synagogue rulers were uh, appointed to basically look over the affairs of the synagogue to make sure the building was well cared for. So Jairus is this influential leader, uh, one of the most important influential personalities in the whole area. He is a synagogue ruler. And uh, the issue for him, though, is that his 12-year-old daughter is sick. And she is dying. And no doubt Jairus has sort of used his wealth, he's used his influence to get find you know, people, to find methods that would bring her healing. But none of those have worked, and she, she, she just keeps getting worse. So he goes to Jesus, and he begs Jesus to come to his home to heal his daughter. And when he does that, he lays it all out. He puts his reputation at risk. He puts his job at risk because he is literally crossing religious boundaries by reaching out to Jesus, who is an enemy of Jewish religious establishment. They are joined by this woman in the crowd who Mark tells us had a medical condition which caused her to bleed chronically. In fact, Mark tells us that, she was, uh, that this had been going on for 12 years, that she'd spent a lot of money reaching out to medical people uh, and treatments, but they only seem to make her worse. Desperate, hurting, lonely, and afraid. The demon-possessed man, the bleeding woman, the uh, Jairus and his daughter all met Jesus. And in the brief moments that followed, their lives were forever changed because God couldn't care more about them at that time. Now, a friend of mine has a brother with Down syndrome. And this brother wandered away from the home that he was staying in. So the family contacted family and friends all across the nation that they would pray for Ray and for his safety. The local media picked up the story, and it ran on 14 different radio, uh, television stations in the area. Every major newspaper in the area printed, uh, uh, carried the story as well. So it was covered, sort of blanketing the upper Midwest uh, area of our country. Now, there were hundreds of people that were involved in the search. Helicopters, planes, ATVs, horses, boats. I mean, everything was out there. But they did not find Ray. The family started to prepare for the worst. And Ray was probably one day away from heaven when they did find him, lying in some tall grass by a lake, not too far from his home. You see, a man who had a cabin in the area had been getting ready for duck hunting season. He was there with his son and his son's uh, friend. And suddenly the father heard his son cry out, Dad! So he stopped what he was doing immediately and ran down the path towards the lake. And at the point where the path was closest to where Ray was lying, he heard Ray's desperate, sort of faint cry for help. And there he found Ray lying in the swamp grass that was near the lake. Well, after the rescue, the father asked the son, his son, uh, what his son wanted, what was so urgent that his son would call out for him. And his son sort of looked you know, a little puzzled, and they said, oh, Dad, I wasn't calling for you, I was calling for Dan. I wanted to show him something. Ray had been missing for nine days when they found him. He couldn't walk, 
He was soaked with water from uh, rain. And um, uh, that night, after Ray was safely in the hospital, the temperature dropped to the mid-20s. If they hadn't have found Ray on that day, if they hadn't rescued him, he would have frozen to death. God shows us that he couldn't care more because he is here with us now. He uses our prayers. He uses other people. He can even use words like Dan that sound like, da uh, that sound like dad. Because when Jesus came, he came to stay. When he ascended, the Holy Spirit descended. And he is always here, always moving, always working, always showing up in unexpected ways. He comes to dying children, and he comes to the chronically or mentally ill. He comes for the homeless, the outcast, the desperate. He comes for people like Ray. Helpless people, tired people, people who have nothing left and are out of their options. People who are lonely or afraid. And the really cool thing about that resume is when you think about that list, there is a lot of room in there for God to help people like you and like me. So let me ask you this morning, where do you need God's help in your life today? What are you having trouble trusting God for? What are you dealing with that has been using up all your resources and you're running out of options? The first way that we know that God couldn't care more about us is that he is here. He is here now and he's here to stay. In order to explain the second way that I want to talk with you about, that we know that God couldn't care more for us, I want to start by talking about these tensions that are running through the stories that Dana read for us. These tensions, there's two of them. There are tensions not only that run through those stories, it turns out they run through our lives as well. The first tension is this, that there is the way things are, and there is the way things are supposed to be. The main characters in this particular story are affected by an illness uh, that are signs and symptoms of a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. It should be different than that, but it's not. There's the way things are, and there's the way things should be. That's the first tension, and we live in that tension, you and me. We, we live in that tension, the current events that we read about, the people that we know around us, uh, our lives, we're constantly caught in a, in a state of surprise or anxiety or anger or regret or whatever between living in this place, between the way things are and the way they're supposed to be. Now, the second point of tension happens around what we do with Jesus when the way things are are not the way things are supposed to be. See, the majority of the people in this text, they're skeptical. They doubt Jesus. They discount that he's able to do anything to make a change. But then, there are a few in these stories, really the heroes, who reach out to Jesus in desperate faith. They are the only ones who plead with Jesus for rescue. And they are the only ones who experience his healing and restoration. Skepticism or trust and reliance in Jesus. That's the second tension. And we're constantly living somewhere along the continuum between these points uh, of the tensions. 
the tension between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. We're constantly living in that place. And the tension between skepticism and trust and reliance on Jesus. We're somewhere along that continuum. Particularly when the way things are are not the way they're supposed to be. Now last week I got a call from uh, a call that a member from our church was uh, hospitalized, had had a heart attack. He'd been working in the front yard and collapsed. And by the time the paramedics arrived, his heart had stopped. And they were able to revive him, rushed him to the hospital. But the doctors and medical staff were very, very concerned that he might have severe brain damage because of the lack of oxygen uh, that, had gotten to, uh, that hadn't gotten to his brain because his heart had stopped. So the doctors put him in a forced coma and a hypothermic state, which they hoped would give his brain time to just rest and revive. That's layman's terms. I'm sure there's you know, better phrases for that. But when I arrived, there were friends and family who were sitting around the room. And he was hooked up to all these monitors and medication regulators. The plan was for the doctors to slowly increase his body temperature so that uh, by the end of the next day, he'd come out of this coma. Only then would they know whether he had experienced severe brain damage. And it didn't look good. So we all gathered around his bed, and we laid hands on him, and in faith we prayed. And we prayed that the Holy Spirit would come, and that the Holy Spirit would heal and restore his body, his brain, his mind, the tissues in his body. That was Christmas Eve day. The day after Christmas, I visited him in the hospital again. And he was surrounded by family and friends again, but this time he was sitting up in bed and he was actually talking with them. The monitors were gone, the medication uh, uh, gauges were gone. He was a little slow, he was a little fuzzy, but I will tell you, he was nowhere near the place. He, he, he was so much better than we dreamed that he would ever be just a few days before. Medicine and people who work on medical staffs, they do amazing things to take care of us. But what I saw that day after Christmas was a modern-day Jesus miracle. He showed up in a big way. You see, God can change the way things are to make them more like the way they are supposed to be. And what Mark wants us to know, and the reason why he includes these stories in his gospel is that it always takes some people who will muster up some faith and reach out to Jesus for things to change. God couldn't care more about you. And the first way we know that is that when God came, he came to stay. And the second way we know that is when he came, he came to make things right. And he's really serious about it. Jesus came to seek and to save, to rescue and to redeem a creation that has run away and gone astray from its creator. We live in a world which is constantly subjected and brutalized by the effects of the fall. Homelessness and mental illness, physical conditions that keep getting worse are signs and symptoms of a world that is not the way it is supposed to be. A world that Jesus came to make right. You see, God is no more satisfied with the way things are in this world than you or me. And whenever Jesus heals, whenever Jesus rescues, whenever Jesus gives hope to the dying or peace to the overstressed, whenever Jesus enters into a person's life and fills them with his power and with his presence, 
then he demonstrates again and again and again that he couldn't care more for us because he has come to make things right. On three days, I'm going to get in my car with uh, my daughter, Chelsea, who's uh, just transferring from Bellevue College to Washington State. And uh, we're going to drive out there and kind of get her all set up. My middle daughter, or my oldest daughter, Lauren, just recently got engaged to Taylor Baggert, who, uh, whose family's uh, members of this church. And my son, Jacob, is waiting to hear back from all the colleges that he applied to so that he knows sort of what he's going to do in the fall. His, his parents were kind of interested, too. You know. It's a little Leatherberry family update. So I'm thinking a lot these days about my kids and about their growing up years and about the family transition that we're all going through. And while there are a bunch of things that um, you could say about me, uh, some of those are good, uh, some of those not so good, the one thing that my family, especially my kids, will all say is that I am a sucker for anything they ask for which follows the word daddy. <laughs> Put that word in there. And I am reaching for my wallet, my car keys, the papers on my house. It's like, whatever you want, it's yours, you know. The funny thing is, we all know that that's going on, right? I mean, I know they're doing it. They know they're doing it. But it's the same result every time. They say that word, daddy, and it's like it goes right in my ears. It hits my eardrums. It starts things vibrating, and it misses my brain and goes right to my heart. <laughs> every time. So what do you think? If just hearing the word daddy rings us up like that, just how do you think God is going to respond when we reach out in faith and desperately depend on him? His love is limitless, without condition or precondition. We can't earn it and we can't blow it out like a candle. His love is like nothing else we've ever experienced, no one else we've ever known, no relationship we've ever been in. He is a cosmic lover who is here now and he is here to make things right. So, where do you need to trust Jesus more in your life? What's going on that is not the way it is supposed to be? What would your relationships, your neighborhood, your family, your workplace look like if you lived out God's I couldn't care more about you message to the world? So Lord Jesus, what you have done and what you continue to do is absolutely amazing. Would you give us the eyes, the ears, the heart of faith? That even when it looks bleak and the message of the world around us is to give up or to give in, throw in the towel, we will hold on. We will persevere. No matter the darkness, no matter the hopelessness. Because even, Lord, even in those moments, you work and you move in powerful ways. Help us to see you. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.